Hi, it's Jamie. And I'm Portia. And we are Just Two Pearls. Join us for Adventures in Pearls. Pearls, today we're going to read a reflection from Brittany Cooper's book, Eloquent Rage. And we're going to read from a chapter called White Girl Tears. And it goes like this. When Ida B. Wells gave the written side eye to the white girl tears of her day, she was hoping that maybe by doing so, those folks listening could attune their ear to the fervent cries of black women being raped by white men all over the country. But Wells learned something that every black girl learns at some point. When white girls cry, every other girl's tears cease to matter. However, what the Trump era has come to teach white women is that uncritical solidarity with the patriarchy is tantamount to sticking your head in a lion's mouth. Too many white women thought they could vote for Trump while sticking everyone else with the consequences. In a battle over power when white men run the world, white lady tears have diminishing returns. This fact alone should inspire an army of white feminists to arm themselves with boxes of Kleenex, march into the world of white women, and start doing the painful work of trying to change their sister's mind. Thus ends the reading. That's a good reading from Dr. Brittany Cooper. Jamie, I'm so glad that you uh, chose to illuminate some words from Brittany Cooper. That's, that's such a powerful uh, text, Eloquent Rage. Everyone needs to read that book, by the way. Um, I know Jamie would agree. Everyone needs to read Eloquent Rage. And um, as an adventure, not in the traditional adventure um, nest that we would normally just share like a single uh, story from a moment in time, but yet this is more of like a montage, a collection of thoughts as they were. So um, for me, just in the spirit of um, white girl tears, as they would, um, as it would say, um, you know, I tend to drink those in the morning sometimes um, with my tea bag. Great. It, it has been a frustration of mine throughout the years when I consider the treatment of how I have been pushed to the side by white women or how I have been included in spaces by white women or I have watched myself be the token black girl in situations. Now, granted, there have been times more so um, since my post-Spelman years where I have really noticed these things uh, where white women tend to want to rally together around certain issues when um, it particularly pertains to their gender. But when it comes to moments of race, uh, they're kind of nowhere to be found. And so I wonder sometimes, where is the love and the deep appreciation for black women and girls? And why is it that our stories, our uh, well-being is kind of pushed to the side? So my frustration with America as I think about uh, the upcoming anniversary of the inauguration of the current administration and thinking about Dr. King and um, civil rights movement and all that, I wonder why is it that 
continuously black women and black girls, our voices are always pushed to the back and never given uh, the time or the platforms that they deserve. And I, in my own experience, have witnessed this when uh, just sharing my own experiences in church and church life. It's kind of like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that your church does not necessarily like uh, to include women in the pulpits, or I'm so sorry that your Baptist tradition does not like to hear the voices of women all the time, but yet, in our church tradition, we are ordaining women quite frequently and regularly. And so we're not part of that problem when gender is an issue in the church. And it's kind of like, is that true, though? It's kind of like your silence on uh, the non-ordination of women or your silence on uh, just issues within the church universal is also a form of consent. And so I kind of get frustrated sometimes when uh, my fellow uh, clergy colleagues who are uh, white, women specifically, do not uh, always speak up on certain issues or certain things that are troubling. Now, I do have a couple. Uh, they actually listen to the show, and I actually love them, and I appreciate them for how I see them standing up or taking a, just taking up the mantle of what Jesus would preach, not, uh, not necessarily preaching Jesus, but preaching what Jesus preached, right, and them taking up and wanting to fight for humanity. Um, I appreciate those women and working alongside those women because I do feel um, that they include voices and not just specific voices, but many voices. I say all that to say, dear white women, when you want your black sister to march alongside of you or to join you in Washington or to join you in a protest or to sign a petition, remember not to throw her to the back of the bus or to the back of the line once all is said and done. Remember that same spirit of unity that you are calling for needs to be there at all times. That is my adventure. Thus ends this portion. Jamie. Girl. Yes. I just, mm, I was trying to keep myself muted. Uh, everything that you have said is nothing but the truth, the whole truth, <laughs> the entire truth. You've told the truth. Yeah, and I mean, I think it really relates to kind of where we are right now as we are in the first month of 2019. So Happy New Year, Pearls. If we did not already say that, we are wishing you all the pearly best for this new year. But you know, this weekend, of course, is Martin Luther King weekend, the weekend in which uh, we commemorate his life and his legacy. But one of the things that you and I have been talking about as womanist thinkers and ethicists and black feminists and whatever other labels we might place upon our theological and political imaginations is that we have to talk about the continuing struggle of our personal lives as black women, but also the larger experience that black women are continuing to have in this world. Everything that you just said about, um, you know, I noticed that when we were at Yale Divinity School and we would talk about, you know, women's ordination. And you remember we had to have like multiple groups. We had to have a group for <laughs> black women in ministry and then all the other women in ministry could go into a different group together. 
And we had to figure out ways to bridge the gap because they did not understand our struggles. And as much as we would advocate for them and their struggles, a lot of them, not all of them, like you said, we do have friends and colleagues who step up to the plate. But a lot of them would say, well, y'all go deal with your black women problems and then make sure you come back to help us with our problems. And so there's this burden that black women are, are, are placed upon us. And it's not just white women, it's also black men are often doing this. Will y'all go deal with your black woman problems and make sure you come back uh, to the black church? Well, if it's the black church, how can we have a black church that's committed to loving black folks and black LGBT folks and black women don't have a seat at the table? Or do you really love on black people if you're excluding so much of the black experience? And so as we are, you know, embarking on this new year, one of the reasons why we wanted to start with that reflection from Brittany Cooper is because despite the gains of the civil rights movement, which were many, we are grateful, um, there's still this continuing rage that so many black women have to deal with. And part of the reason for that is that we deal with the neglect of our black brothers and even sometimes sisters. Some of y'all get into this stuff too. We deal with the neglect of our white sisters. Um, and it just continues just to be so painful and to prevent us from being able to find our freedom. So, yeah, so I think that's just such an important topic for today, and I'm just so appreciative of you sharing more about your adventures with that experience. Yeah, I, I, I'm grateful, you know, that we have, created our own platform where we can share these experiences, you know, and I think it's important for us as young black millennial clergy scholar, scholarly women um, to voice these things, right, and to give light to these things because if we don't tell the story, Jamie, then who else is, you know, and I look around sometimes and I wonder what kinds of stories are sitting in the pews or what kinds of stories are sitting in the desks and in the classroom, right? What kinds of stories um, do black women have, particularly as it pertains to our location and whatever fields that we're in or wherever we find ourselves position, our positionalities? You know, I wonder sometimes what are the stories that we have to share? What are the stories that we're willing to tell um, or not afraid to tell or daring to tell because we've all kind of experienced uh, traumas and abuse and um, just different forms of neglect <laughs> in our various fields. And uh, it, it, these things have to come out. So I'm grateful that we have a platform where we can just kind of share these things and be open, authentic, and honest. Um, I think about uh, our, our foremothers, who were a part of the civil rights movement. You know, I think about Diane Nash. I think about Septima Clark. I think about um, even Edwina Moss, you know, uh, wife of uh, Otis Moss Jr. I think about uh, Paracia Hall. I think about these women who weren't necessarily invited alongside of white women, right, and weren't even necessarily included around the tables of, of their black contemporaries who were male. And I kind of just wonder, and I even think about like Polly Murray too, um, you know, just 
even as a queer voice, like where do we uh, begin to tell these stories of black women on the margins and who were always behind the scenes doing the work, um, but had their work not necessarily illuminated uh, because of the times, because of resources or opportunities. And so I think we have a responsibility to unearth not only their stories, um, but to tell our stories. And I think that's why your work, Jamie, is so important, um, the work that you do um, as a black feminist and at UCLA and getting your doctoral work. I think it's so important um, because you are sharing the stories of women uh, who, who, who we may or may not know. Um, and so I just think that uh, it's great that we have a platform to just share some of this um, and to speak on some of this. So um, I'm excited, you know, and I'm grateful um, for the more of the stories that we're going to tell in the future because truth is, Pearls, we tired, okay? We, we, Jamie and I, we be tired, okay? You know, like it's that thing that makes y'all, mm, you know, it's like the sacred, mm, you know. We just be looking around. We just go, mm sometimes. And so, Jamie, uh, what more do you want to offer about that mm, that we have to say? Yeah, so this, uh, this, this is a topic that I'm so glad that we're able to, like you said, discuss on our platform. Um, but even still, it feels exhausting. It feels like since we're talking about it publicly, um, we almost have to guard what we want to say even in trying to speak our truth. And that's kind of why it just kind of leaves me with just a groan in my spirit, just the, mm. like, and, and at a certain level, there also are no words for it. When we think about the legacies of our foremothers and when, honestly, just watching the news so far in 2019, we see this black family being shot at in their car and this little black girl being dead, you know, it seems like at the hands of some black people being stupid. Um, Nevertheless, what that points to is this just blatant disregard. Like everyone is allowed to disregard the bodies, the minds, the spirits of black women, including black women ourselves, right? We are responsible for some of this. And, you know, and going back to Brittany Cooper and her work with some of her black feminist um, friends, uh, they're, they're the Crunk Feminist Collective. You all can follow them online. They also have a book out. Um, but they talk about that a lot. Brittany Cooper talks about that a lot, um, trying to even form friendships with other black women. We have hurt and traumatized and bruised each other so much that sometimes we can't even trust each other. Sometimes black girls can't be trusted in the home with their black mother because just of the trauma that she's endured. It's not that she's trying to hurt her black daughter, um, but we've all been so traumatized that we hurt each other and that we traumatize each other, that we don't believe each other, that we cause each other pain. And that's why the issue is so deep. It's so pervasive. This disrespect and disregard for black women happens at such a deep level. You know, we've seen it in the black church. We've seen black women who definitely, um, you know, especially older black women who are also just kind of tired and they're like, okay, cool. I'm going to support you in your ministry. We need your voice. Um, but then sometimes we'll see black women who they're at the top of their field and their profession, and yet they would come to church and say, we don't need no black women up in the pulpit. So it's like, okay, so like at what point are we going to validate each other's voices? At what point are we going to believe each other? 
So it's like, you know, in 2019, I want to keep calling out white women. <laughs> I want to keep calling out black men um, because I think they're some of the biggest perpetrators. But we also need to, I would say, call in each other as sisters and have honest conversations about how we might support each other because that's one thing that, you know, I think white feminism is pretty well known for. Uh, their ability to advocate and support each other, and yet we don't always have those same networks as black women. What does it look like for us to celebrate, cheer on, respect, um, and regard each other's lives as honorable and valuable? And what does it look like for us to teach others to do the exact same thing? What you just said, Jamie, I have a question. So in this teaching, right, um, what does that look like? Right, how do we begin to help this take shape and form and take legs? Like what is then the practical piece to it and the, and how do we help these conversations to take legs? Yeah, I think that's a excellent question. Um, you know, I think a lot of the historians I would say who study black women in slavery, one of the things that they often note is just black women leadership in the community of slaves. Um, you know, and then part of that is because husbands, fathers were living on other plantations, they had greater mobility. And so that meant that black women really had to step up and take leadership. And I think one of the things that we, as black folks, for a reasonable enough reason, um, allowed to happen post-slavery, we're not all living together, we're not all sharing space with each other. And so the creation of families you know, that are male-headed already create these certain types of politics within the black community where black men are able to exercise a pretty large amount of power over everyone else, you know, women, children, um, LGBT folks, right? And so part of it, I think, is to reclaim our history of unity, right, which is at the heart of, I think, who we are as a people. I think it's at the heart of even who we are theologically, right? Like, I mean, in the beginning, God created humans to be in relationship with each other. And so one of the things that we must do is choose relationship with each other. The problem, as I see it, is that so many people do have walls up for both good and bad reasons. And so the question for us is how hard are we willing to work? How hard are we willing to love to help each other be able to break down walls and build new connections with each other? In certain venues, I think it's really challenging. And I think that's part of the power of the Black church, right, Portia? I think that's one of the things that keeps places like the Black church as important as they are because that's a place where we're able to continue to unite as black folks and to continue to build our consciousness as black people. It's really difficult if all we do all week is, you know, perhaps interact with colleagues who might be of all races and all sorts of backgrounds, you know, here in the academy, there's still so few black women in the academy. So it can be really difficult to find and form these bonds. Um, but when we find them, we have to cling fast to them. On um, the Internet, uh, I have very mixed feelings about the Internet, but <laughs> it exists. It's a tool. Um, and I think that's another source that we found, right, of 
where people do find community. And so even if it's just sending an encouraging word to another black woman online, even if it's um, forming meetups, right, if you know other black women who live in your community, um, you know, through online, through just happening to meet in person, forming meetups, forming community, right, I think should be one of our goals. And there's nothing that prevents us from forming these communities of belonging and communities of collaboration with each other. But do you have any ideas of how we might form these sorts of bonds and relationships with each other? Yeah, I absolutely agree um, with what you shared. So um, to the point specifically about um, black church, right, which has historically been an epicenter for black life, I think that, but it's interesting, right, because I think that in 2019, in a 21st century context, as we're getting ready to round off a decade, y'all, um, you know, and step into the, the next, right, I think it's important that we also evaluate where the black church is in terms of, one, its own survival, and two, in terms of its own relevancy. I always will think that the black church is relevant. I always think that it will survive. However, I wonder if it can survive on what it currently looks like right now. And so I think that this is a fruitful time for the church to reimagine what does it look like for the black church to be the epicenter of black life again. Understanding, well, let me even say black religious life. I don't want to say black church specifically because I think the black experience is more than just Christianity. And I think when we start to think outside of those paradigms as well, we can do more uh, effective work and have a more intentional and effective community because when we think about our black sisters who are Muslim, our black sisters who are Jewish, right? There are black Jewish women. Like we don't necessarily say it, but it's true, right? We have, there are multiple, um, there are multiple faith communities of black women who exist. There are black women who may not prescribe to uh, Christianity, but uh, want to hold on to black spirituality and uh, remember um, black goddesses like Oshun, you know, and just thinking about uh, black women's spirituality in a different kind of way, in Africanisms, right, and getting back to a, a, a ritualistic, um, traditional, from the motherland type of uh, religion that is authentic and true to our experience or um, who celebrates in, um, you know, Santa Rita or, you know, Candomblé or, oh gosh, or, or Voodoo, right, and thinking about different religious experiences. How do we broaden even our conversation in the black church to realize that we have community with our sisters who may not worship like us but look like us, who may not uh, connect with a source with the source like us, but still look like us, right? And so I think when we in the Black Church start to diversify our language and our practice to include other Black women and creating a safe space, regardless of our spiritual practice, I think that is how we can reshape the the longevity of black church experiences for black women uh, specifically because I don't think we should always come into the experience trying to proselytize or trying to convert 
but understanding what does it mean to commune with your sister in sacred space. So I think we need to reimagine what does sacred space look like for black women and how can we come together in sacred space without judgment, without um, assuming, without assumptions, without taking certain things personal. We're really good at taking things personal. Um, <laughs> black women, we can take things personal a lot. Um, and that's not always safe or healthy. I, I want to challenge us to think about black women's spirituality as a place of creating intentional community. Um, I also want us to think about um, how do we reform, not reform, but how do we shape and form our identities and community around the arts? So you said about meetups and connecting over the Internet, how can we spark conversation around the arts, right? Whether it's going to a th the theater and watching a show and having intentional conversation about the theater, or whether it's music and having, like, listening parties or book clubs and reading uh, a text, a book, or whatever have you. How do we uh, go to the movies together and then maybe go out for – you know, some cookies or something, you know. It's just like how do we allow art to be something that brings our conversations together and bring us together in community? Or going to an art gallery and looking at um, some new artwork by a local artist or a street artist or uh, thinking about uh, – different things, you know, just looking at different textiles or different artistic methods to create pieces and how we can have intentional dialogue around that. Um, you know, whatever it might be, I think that intentional community and intentional conversations can happen. We just got to think outside the box or, um, or allow ourselves to be open to hearing voices that may or may not sound like our own. Um, yeah, and I think that is a way for our community to heal. And, uh, yeah, uh, or even just jumping in a protest line and just striking up a conversation with someone. You know, you can make friends at rallies. It's, that's also a great thing to do. Get involved. Go to the, get in the community. Do something. So, Jamie, we be tired out here, you know, and it's true. But I think we be tired out here because, we have to remember that we need each other to be out here, especially for black women. Um, if we're going to survive out here um, in a what is projected to be a white man's world, right, um, because I'm starting to say it ain't your world either. It's God's world. Get over it. Um, <laughs> and God's world includes everybody, whether you like it or not. Uh, what helps us to become less tired is when we share the burden and we come together um, in sisterhood and love, um, continuing to heat up white women's tears and drink them with our tea and laugh and giggle and to smile. But uh, if there's uh, anything else that you want to share, we might need to get petty. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, we already getting pretty petty with uh, heating up their tears. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you're right. I think it's time to uh, have a formal Petty Pearl moment, the first of 2019. So what's on your mind? Oh, my God, because it's the new year. All right. So in the new year, hashtag what we not going to do, okay? 
So what we're not going to do, y'all, in the new year is we're not going to sit idly by and allow stuff to just happen in front of our face, okay? So say it with me. Hashtag what we not going to do is sit idly by and watch things happen. Great. Now get that in your brain because there are several things that will continue to happen, and the news will continue to happen. The administration will continue to do things that that we are all going to be disgusted and tired by. But that doesn't mean that we have to sit by and just watch it, right? That doesn't mean that we got to get on Twitter and get Twitter happy and our thumbs and fingers and start sounding off. I want us to actually think about intentionally thinking about ways how we can dismantle not just white supremacy, but dismantling different forms of sexism, racism, classism, all them isms, right? Think about what you can do. So stop sitting on them hands, stop twiddling them fingers, and go do something. And think about what you can do. If you don't know what to do, guess what you can do? You know what you can do? You can email us at just to pearl at, at adventures at just two pearls dot com. You can do that. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at just two pearls, and you can let us know what you think. Okay, what kind of things that you want to do? What are you struggling with? What do you want to take more of an action on? Let us know. Keep the conversation going. So hashtag J two P hashtag just two pearls. Follow us, Jamie and Portia. We're here. Follow us. Talk to us. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Just Two Pearls. And you can email us at adventures at just two pearls.com. And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.